What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Cook. And this week, like every week, we're talking about how we can grow our wellness businesses online with digital marketing and all that other fun stuff that we just love. So this week, we're returning to the format of having some fabulous interview guests on. And I've got a great interview for you this week. This week, I'm speaking to Lauren Arms from Well To Do London. And in this interview, Lauren's talking with us about how she left her corporate job to start Well To Do London. Actually, she started it on the side while she was still working. I know a lot of you are in that situation, so you'll really like her tips there. And we also talk about how she's built this hybrid of an online business, but with an in-person component. And also her business, even though it's online, is really focused in a certain geographic area. She's focused around London. So I know a lot of you out there are really interested in this combination of doing digital marketing, building an online business, but also connecting with your local community. And I think Lauren shows us that that can be done really well. Now, we've got quite a good interview for you today with lots of tips and tools and resources that Lauren shares, so I don't want to take too much time. We'll just jump right into it. But as always, you can get links to everything we talk about in this episode in the show notes, which are available at wellpreneuronline.com slash 72. And also, if you're listening on an Apple device, so like on an iPhone, you can just tap the picture of the Wellpreneur podcast, and it will show you the links right there in the app so that you can just click directly through. And if you enjoy this episode and you enjoy interviews like this and want to get more wisdom about how to build your wellness business, I've put together a free ebook that's called Wellpreneur Wisdom, the best business tips and advice from 10 successful wellness entrepreneurs. It has the best tips that came out of my 10 most popular podcast interviews ever, and it's available for you to download. You can go get that now at wellpreneuronline.com slash book. Okay, so now let's jump into this interview with Lauren Arms from Well-To-Do London, and I'll rejoin you at the end to give you a few more little resources. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Amanda. I was really excited when I came across your business, which I think one of my friends actually told me about it because you run Well To Do London and you're focusing on the wellness community here in London and also running events for wellness entrepreneurs. So I thought you would just be the perfect person to come talk to this community, this virtual community that we've got here of wellness entrepreneurs. So I'm so happy you took the time. Yeah, pleasure. Let's just start off. If you could just let us know a bit about what it is that you do now. And I'd love to hear the story of how you started to create Well To Do London. Of course. So it was about a year ago now that I set up Well To Do London as an online news platform. I've got quite a diverse background and probably a little unexpected. I studied business and marketing and I kind of fell into a role with a manufacturing company in Australia manufacturing aerosol products, actually. So very industrial, very sort of mining and construction led. 
And I spent seven years with that company learning about the different aspects of the business and what makes a really successful business. And I was really lucky to be exposed to all of the different aspects of that business. And being a global business, I took a real liking to developing the international aspect of the business. And they created a role for me where I was um, traveling a lot and um, setting up international partnerships and distribution channels. So I spent a lot of time traveling, which is something that I'm very passionate about. And I spent a bit of time in London and decided to make the leap and move from Australia to London about two years ago. So I left that company with a lot of knowledge, as I said, about how to create a successful business. And I wanted to move to London and work for a big corporate. So I did that. I got a great job in the city and it was very fast paced, very intense, a lot of uh, again, great experience. And I had my sights set on climbing the corporate ladder, which is kind of the, the path that I thought that I had to follow. One of the things that I found interesting about living in London is that there's a real community of entrepreneurs. And I became much more exposed to this idea of a startup and what entrepreneurship is, which was a whole new world for me. And, you know, I felt all of a sudden that perhaps I didn't have to be working in this corporate world and perhaps I could start something of my own. So that led me down the path of, of really thinking and focusing on what my passions were and which areas I felt that I could confidently explore and potentially set up a business of my own. And wellness was an interesting one because in Australia, I'd never felt that I needed to put a label on my lifestyle, but I was living a very wellness-focused lifestyle, acting active and being health conscious. And, and I'd always naturally preferred whole foods and my father had always grown fruit and vegetables in our garden. So it was funny when I came to London, I realized that I had to more actively seek out that lifestyle. And so I started looking for places that I could go to, you know, practice yoga and try new workouts and eat healthily and cafes and restaurants. And I felt that London really lacked an online platform for resources and for information about where to find those places but presented in a really fun and dynamic way. So whilst I was still working full time in the corporate world, I started Well To Do, as I said, about a year ago now, and it just took off. I think I wasn't the only one, and this is usually how businesses evolve. You identify a problem and perhaps one that is a problem for you, and you sort of soon realize in many cases that it's something that other people are struggling with as well. So I found that people really took a liking to having a platform of information that was very wellness focused and took a very positive and upbeat approach to it. Whereas perhaps some other mainstream media were approaching wellness in a little bit more of a cynical or mocking way. So Londoners were taking this wellness lifestyle on board and some of the trends that are big in the US were starting to emerge in London, like cold-pressed juice bars and yoga studios. And I thought I wanted to share that with people in a, a really uh, fun and dynamic way. So that's how welltodolondon.com, the website, was born. And it's really just flourished from there. I left my full-time job about six months ago to really focus on building that full-time. Mm, awesome. Oh, so I didn't realize that you actually started it while you were employed in a corporate job. And I know a lot of listeners out there are in a similar situation. So how did you manage that? Like, how did you balance the two doing this thing on the side while also keeping up with your day job? Good question. I worked really hard. I set meetings before and after work and sometimes even in my lunch break. 
So I'd be making calls and sending emails outside of work hours. And also in my personal time, so on weekends and things, it was a really natural thing that I was going out to these cafes and fitness studios and interacting with people in this space very naturally. It didn't feel like a second job to me. And I also just didn't put a lot of pressure on myself because at that time, I don't think I perceived, well, I don't think I predicted how fast it would take off. And perhaps I wasn't even sure how it would develop into a business yet. So it was just about making time when I could outside of work to follow trends on social media and talk to people. So I'd go into some of these new cafes that were popping up and talk to the business owners and ask them how they'd gotten started and talk to them about how they saw the industry developing. And I got a lot of insights into, well, that allowed me to almost validate what was to become a successful business for me. And when you were getting started, Did you have like a really clear vision of how you wanted it to develop or was it more organic? In terms of Well To Do London, the website, I did have a really clear vision. I knew the tone that I wanted the content to be communicated in. I knew the type of content that people were interested in. And that was, again, through really talking to who I considered my audience to be and talking to them about how they saw the industry developing and perhaps what just following what they were interested in so that that would contribute to my initial vision. I didn't necessarily have a business plan. And I think that naturally, that was much more organic and that naturally evolved as the website became a little bit more professional. And, you know, I sort of started to spend a bit more money on it and developing it. And so it was kind of a combination. I did set out with quite a clear vision of what I wanted to create, which was a platform for news around trends and developments in the wellness industry in London specifically. And I'd looked at, you know, a couple of US-based websites, for example, and I'd seen how they'd done it and how they'd been successful at it. And I, in some ways, used that as a bit of a blueprint for my own vision. You know, there's that moment when you finally get, like, you've got your idea and then you create your website and you put it out there. And there's that like moment. It's like when you throw a party and right before the party starts, you think, is anyone going to (laughs) come? Like, or is I just going to be in this like big empty room with music on my own? And it's kind of felt like that to me. Like every time I start a new website, like you do all this work and everything and then you put it out there. And there's that initial point before you have built your audience, maybe before you have your email list. How do you start to get that momentum going? And I know a lot of people are at that point or are worry about that point. So I'm curious, what are some of the things you did in the beginning to start to build momentum and, and find your tribe? For me, it was all about consistency. And as soon as I started to panic, like you said, about who's going to read this, you're sort of looking at your early stage analytics and you might be sort of getting 10, 20 hits and it's like, is this ever going to grow? Is it going to take off? And for me, I sort of stopped focusing so much on that and just focused on being consistent. So I set myself a target of three articles a week because I wanted it to be a really dynamic platform. I wanted people to keep coming back for more. And so I knew that the only way that that was going to happen was to be consistent. So I'd schedule time in my week so that no matter what else came up, my priority was to produce those three articles. And it was a really attainable and really realistic target. And I stopped focusing so much on the numbers and the hits and the subscribers. And I just 
I really kind of wanted to know that I was able to commit to this because as I said, I wasn't sure that it would grow into a business. I didn't know that six months later I'd be leaving my job to take it on, but I wanted to at least set some really realistic goals for myself to know that I could commit to it. And I think when you do that and when you're consistent and you turn up every week and you hit those numbers, it just starts to grow. And you see that if you, you know then that if you keep doing that week after week, the numbers are going to rise. I love that you said, like, at some point in the beginning, you need to stop obsessing about the numbers, like every like one email subscriber joining or God forbid, somebody unsubscribing. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have when I first started my blog, like six or seven years ago, I had that this setting on my email program, my email, like Aweber, my, what I was using for my mailing list at the time, where it would email me every time somebody subscribed or unsubscribed. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but like, that was hor like people could subscribe and I'd be like really excited. And then just one person could unsubscribe and it would like devastate me. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to do the same. And particularly because Instagram has been a really powerful way for me to develop my following. I, in the very early days, turned off notifications for Instagram because I didn't want to be obsessing constantly over how many likes my picture I'd gotten or, you know, how many followers I'd gotten that day. I just knew that I had to just post every day. Mm -hmm. So with Instagram, it was, I set that goal for myself that I would post every day. And I've done that continuously for a year. And you look back a year later and you think, you know, I got there, I hit the numbers that I kind of set out to hit. And it's only been through consistently, you can't grow that following overnight, it has to be organic, particularly for me, where wellness was quite a new culture in London. And I knew that it was never going to be overnight. It was always going to be the, the early adopters following. And then, you know, the people who are who are then friends with those early adopters, they would start following. And I knew that it would be a slow organic process because I knew that it was quite a new niche in London. Mm -hmm. I just want to kind of highlight one of the things you said to everybody to just kind of bring it home, because I think it's really, really important is it sounds like what you did is you determined like, what are the key activities that you've got to do consistently to really start to build momentum? And it's like writing three articles a week and posting on Instagram every day. And then you said you just blocked out time to make sure that you did those. And that was like the primary focus. And I think yeah. that's that is a really just really important to emphasize to everyone, because I think especially when you look at digital marketing, there's so many things you could do like, oh, you should do webinars. Oh, you should try Periscope. Oh, you should do this. Like there's so much you could do that you could spend all day just running around trying a thousand different things. And I think mm. what you said and why you've been successful, Lauren, is because you said you figured out what are those key activities that you've got to do. You do those first and then like your other time, you can try other stuff. But like you've just got to commit to getting that done. So yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And especially you're, you have to remember that you can only do what you can do. It's something my mom always used to say to me and, and still does when I get overwhelmed by everything I could be doing. You're only one person. And, you know, bearing in mind, there are some great tools. And I'm sure, you know, we'll touch on those that you can use to be more efficient and to be more productive and to get more done. You, at the end of the day, you are only one person when you're starting out. And I'd like to, when I started out, I wanted my website to come across as a team of people. But in reality, I wasn't a team of people. I was just one person. So I, I decided that I'd focus on content and articles on the website and Instagram as my two key drivers for the site. I'm glad you mentioned about how you, you wanted to look like you had a team, even though you didn't. So do you have a team now? And, and what's that look like? 
Yeah, so I now do have two full-time contributors. So I've taken a slight step back from producing the content for the website and I now have two, two people who do that for me. And we kind of get together and we brainstorm ideas for content and then they they do that writing. And it's allowed me to step back and spend some more time on the mechanics of my business and structuring perhaps revenue streams and structuring broader marketing strategies and doing some, some more activity offline, which is something I'm really passionate about because my website is so geographically specific that I can uh, put together some great events for my audience that brings them together in real life and allows them to interact and to share their passion for wellness as well. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. So let's just talk about that. The the fact that you've done a bunch of in-person as well. And, and before we started recording, you were talking a little bit about how that tied in with your social media strategy. So would you kind of share that and how it developed? Yes, it was a few months ago that I sat down and I'd sort of taken a break. I'd gone back to Australia to spend some time with my family and it was it was nice to get away from London and spend some time being a bit more creative and thinking about where I wanted to take my business. And I realized looking at my audience that a lot of the majority, I should say, really of my audience were entrepreneurs themselves and either wanted to or already were pursuing a career or business in the wellness industry. So I realized that a fantastic way to grow my readership online was to really engage with that portion of my audience offline. So I looked at that portion of my audience and really started to hone in on what I thought they were interested in and as my audience, what I could really bring to them of value in an offline community type setting. So I launched a series called the Well To Do Life series, which is very much about um, bringing industry experts together in a sort of panel type setting and the audience are then able to listen to some of the industry's more successful entrepreneurs who were perhaps slightly further down the track and learn how they've created what they've created and how they've been so, been successful and get some insights into perhaps what it takes to build a really successful wellness business. So uh, I launched that three months ago and the first event was a huge success. We brought together 150 wellness entrepreneurs and it was a fantastic panel. And what it did for me was it made me realize that there was a real community blossoming in London. And these were real people who had real business ideas and who were really passionate about creating businesses that were helping people and changing people's lives. And it was a real mix of, you know, health coaches and budding yoga instructors, people who were developing products or services across fitness, health, you know, more nutrition specific food services, such an incredible mix, but they could all learn a lot from each other being part of the wellness industry. And meeting those people in real life has really strengthened my social media strategy as well, because now when we interact on social media, there's a face to the name, there's a real relationship there. And and people are much more likely to help you spread your message. And that's a really powerful thing. It's one thing to have a lot of followers, but it's another to know them personally and know what their goals are and know how you can support them and how they can support you, which is, is something that's really nice about being in this industry is that people are so supportive, but it really helps to get to know those people on a personal level and in an offline setting as well. Yeah, because I think it's so 
I mean, online, it's so easy to hide behind your computer and you can just get caught up in your own little world and your own head about what you're going to create and what you think people need. But I think it's easy to forget that those email addresses or those followers are actual real people. And it doesn't mm-hmm. take you too many conversations to start to really figure out what people actually need, which a lot of times doesn't really correspond to what you've invented in your head. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. Plus, it's just more fun to meet people. So Yeah, exactly. And they've become my friends now too, which is so nice there. And there's a nice crossover between having them as an audience and having them as your friends and your colleagues mm-hmm. as well and supporting them in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think also, especially in the wellness world, so much of what we're doing is really complementary. And so you don't need to have that sense of competition. Like just because you're both health coaches doesn't mean you're taking clients from each other at all because Mm -hmm. different people resonate with different types or you have like different specialities or you could maybe do a joint workshop together or retreat. It's just great to get together and meet people working in the same space. Yeah. And I really wanted to encourage that because I know for me and my business, how powerful it has been to develop a network. I think my network and the relationships that I have with other people in this industry underpin everything I do. It's so valuable to have a network and to go to events and to talk about collaborating. And like you say, other people in this industry can offer you so much and sharing skills and sharing resources and getting together. And yeah, again, like you say, doing workshops together or putting on events together has been a really powerful thing, particularly that I've observed in, in the, uh, the wellness industry in London. I'm curious. So you moved here from Australia and you, I don't know, I'm guessing you didn't know a ton of people when you moved to London. So How did you get started building that network? You know, everyone says, oh, you need to have a network, but I think that can be quite intimidating for people to think about (laughs) how to even get started. I'm a really natural people person. So I didn't have a lot of friends here. I had some Australian friends living in London, but they sort of slowly started to one by one go home. So I started to try and find out about events. And I did that mainly through Instagram. And I also connected with business owners. So I'd go into a a new cafe that had opened and I just introduced myself and asked them questions about what they were doing and how they built what they built and why they were passionate about wellness and just started from there very much one on one. And then where I could, I'd introduce those people to each other. And I think that's a really powerful way to develop your network as well, because then you all become linked. You kind of join the dots between each person you meet. So it's great to, to always kind of focus on how that person might benefit from meeting someone else in your network. And I sort of became a dot connector in that sense. And then when I started to do my own events, I had a list of people that I had met along the way that I could invite. And then, yeah, going to other events in the industry. In the early days, there were events like plant-based picnics or supper clubs or bloggers holding workshops. And I'd go to as many of those as, as I could just to, to get in touch with people and introduce myself. And then I guess reaching out to people via email. So I'd, if I found a, a website that looked like a cool brand or, or someone who was running a cool business, I'd just drop them an email and just say, you know, I'd love to connect with you. Can we meet up for a coffee or a juice? And I think I realized that I was looking for that and so were a lot of other people because the response was really positive. Every, you know, as much as I was looking to connect and to reach out, people were really responsive to that. And four times out of five, 
they'd come back and say, yeah, I'd love to meet up. I'd love to hear what you're doing. I'd love to talk to you about what I'm doing as well. So it was perhaps, you know, for me quite easy because I had been in roles previously where my focus was on business development and networking and I could see the value in that. But uh, sometimes it is about putting yourself out of your comfort zone and, you know, walking up to a stranger and saying hi and, and asking them why they do what they do and why they're passionate about wellness. And I think probably something that comes naturally to you, and especially because you've worked in partnerships, is I think it's the way that you approach people too. Like, because sometimes I'll get inquiries and people are just like, oh, can I just pick your brain? Or like, can you just tell me everything you've done? Yeah. (laughs) And that's kind of annoying because I feel like, well, couldn't you just like listen to the podcast to learn about that or something? So I think probably what you're doing naturally is like being like, oh, look, I'm really interested in this too. You're really interested in this. Let's just meet and talk about it basically, Mm. or some, some way that it's more, it's less one sided, it's more like mutual, like you're just getting together to share and explore and learn what each other is doing and see if you can help each other out. I don't know. Is that true? Has that been your experience? Absolutely. And I think the best way to develop your network is to focus on what you can offer other people, rather than constantly looking for ways that you can take value from others. Because once you get in touch with somebody and present yourself in that light where you want to learn, but you also you want to know how you can perhaps help them, people are much more likely to want to spend time with, with you and to meet and chat with you if they don't feel like, as you said, you just want to take advantage of their success or um, perhaps they don't want to feel threatened that you might just want to copy what they're doing. So it is very much about focusing on what you can give rather than what you can take. And that I think is the most powerful way to develop your network. Plus that positions you, like if you just are asking, if you're just, you know, in the role of student and learner and trying to ask loads of questions, that like makes a different kind of relationship than if you come into it with like sharing and being more of like a peer relationship, which I think, you know, establishes stronger relationships anyway. So yeah. And I suppose if you, if I look back on what I was doing initially, I wanted to build an audience and I wanted to provide that audience with the most meaningful information. And I knew that I would probably have to do that for free for a while. So I got in touch with brands and I said to them, I just want to help you communicate your message to my readership. And I was really honest. I was like, it's not a huge readership, but this is my vision. I want to be um, the go-to platform for news and information around wellness in London. And most of them were new businesses themselves. So they really appreciated me coming and talking to them about what they'd created and, and the fact that I wanted to write an article about them and feature them on my website. You know, I found that they were, were supportive of me no matter how big my website was. And I think that's because I was very honest about who I was and what I was creating and that I was at my early stages. And could I come and spend half an hour with them finding out what they do so that I could write something about them? and promote them on my website. And it's amazing because now 12 months later, I don't do a lot of reaching out. Brands tend to come to me. So it's having committed to that, you know, six, 12 months of reaching out and asking brands if I could help them to grow their their online presence and to communicate their message. It built my audience. And now I'm in a more, I suppose, powerful position in that I can tell brands that I've actually got this audience now and here's a bunch of ways that I can work with you to reach that audience. And I love that you didn't wait until you hit some magic number before you felt like you could start reaching out. Like you just need to start and you've got a platform with the right audience, even if it's small and you can still approach people and they'll still be happy to work with you maybe for free to get started. But 
you just have to, I think that's something people get stuck on is they feel like they're not enough yet. They're they're not big enough. They don't have, they need to wait until they hit something and you just did it, which is awesome. Yeah, it's so true. The hardest part is starting. And I always say that to entrepreneurs in the space that have ideas and like, just start, just do something, just start your website, write a blog post, just do one thing to start. And you just feel so empowered after you've done that. I remember, I remember the day that I set up my website. It was so challenging to bring myself into even just the headspace to have the courage to just launch the site. And once I'd done it, I was like, wow, that was so much easier than I thought it was going to be. And then a week later, I'd I'd posted four articles. And then another week later, I'd posted eight articles. And then, you know, all of a sudden there was an archive and I was like, that was so easy. I just had to start. Awesome. So we're kind of running out of time, but I had two other things I wanted to ask you. So just quickly, I'd love to get your take on Instagram because you have quite a big following. You've got like 14,000 followers, I think. So could you give us some tips on what you found that really works for Instagram? Yes, I could talk all day about this, but I'll try and think of some of the key things. We'll have to have you back on for like Instagram (laughs) crash course. But (laughs) For me, it was um, hashtagging. It's a really important thing. You need to do some research around hashtags and, and which hashtags work for you and specifically for your audience. I also think when you're first getting started, and I think people miss the value of this a lot of the time, is that there's so much value in creating and crafting a really compelling bio. So if what you do is geographically specific, then make sure you include that. Because for me, I wanted to develop a really strong London-based following. And I wasn't concerned about numbers. I was concerned about the quality. So again, I guess it comes back to that that saying quality over quantity. And uh, I wanted my followers to be London based because I knew that they'd create the most value for my business long term. So crafting a really compelling bio where you mention where you're based and really try and capture what you do and use every character in that bio space is a really important place to start and also to test it out, you know. And then making use of that link there too. So sending people to a landing page where they are going to have access to a really strong lead magnet. And that lead magnet is what's going to encourage them to subscribe to your website and for you to be able to successfully build your subscriber base. So for me, I focused on on those things initially and really made sure that my bio was clear, what I what my brand stood for was clear in that space and that the link that that Instagram allows people to click on, which there's only one, you can't link anywhere else. Um, Having that link, sending traffic to a really meaningful place where I could get the most value from them was really important as well. Mm -hmm. And just being consistent. I think if you look at any of the accounts that have huge followings, you'll see that they're just consistent. They post every day. They have a really clear theme and a really clear content strategy. And I suppose that's the next step as well is think about what kind of content you are going to share and and make sure it's really high quality because people want to look at really nice photos. I guess the standard on Instagram is is constantly going up. So making sure you have a really clear content strategy is so important as well. What about tools? Do you use any Instagram tools? Like anything to help with that? Everything else I do on social media, I use Buffer, Buffer app. Yes, I love Buffer. I, I talk I know about you're familiar time. with. <laughs> but Instagram, I do manually because I love looking at every account that follows me because it gives me more and more insight into who my audience are. 
And I always click in to see, you know, as much as I can, I always click in to see who's followed me and to get a snapshot of who they are and what they're interested in because it dictates what I do next. It gives me an idea of the types of products and activities that they're interested in and that reveals to me what the trends are. I use Trello for project management, which is such a great tool just to dump your ideas and to have task lists and brainstorm boards and it's free, which is awesome. So I always tell people about Trello. Cool. Well, just and just to kind of wrap up, if there's are there any other like resources or books or anything that you'd recommend out there for wellness entrepreneurs? My two favorite books that I read recently, one is The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster by Darren Hardy. It's such a good book. He's such a guru when it comes to starting out uh, in entrepreneurship and he really takes such a practical approach to getting started and to focusing on sales and marketing. So if you don't have a background in sales or marketing, but you have a great idea, it's such a great read to really give you an idea about what sales means. And I've heard you talk about it before in your podcast, like focusing on what your audience wants rather than what you want to give them. And the other one is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I love that book. (laughs) It's such a great read. It's just so empowering. And if you're uh, on the edge or, you know, you're sitting on the fence about whether to start something or how to start it, then it's just the perfect read to really inspire you to just take that leap and just start. I'm so glad. So I've never heard of the Entrepreneur Roller Coaster. I'm going to go download it on my Kindle like right <laughs> after this. But The Big Leap is the one I always recommend. And I reread it like every year. And I just think it's so, it's just, it's just really good for like recentering and pushing you to the next, the next level really. So yeah. Awesome. So Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time. Can you let people know where they can find you if they'd like to learn more or get in touch or just, just follow what you're doing? Yeah, of course. So my main website is welltodolondon.com. There are links to the event website as well. But if you wanted to check out specifically the events for wellness entrepreneurs and health conscious startups in London, then it's thewelltodolife.com. And of course, I would certainly encourage people to check us out on Instagram. It's uh, welltodolondon and it's the same across all of my social media. So Twitter um, and Facebook is London as well. Great. Thanks so much, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Cool. That was an awesome interview with Lauren. She shared so much valuable advice and tips. And I was just really inspired by how she just went out and got started. And I think for me, that's the takeaway message from this week's interview is stop waiting. Whatever you think you need to wait to have it perfect, your website, you need to have it all figured out. You need to have a business plan. You actually don't need to figure out this week how you can just get started. Just take a step to move forward and start creating the wellness business that you're dreaming about. So one thing Lauren did mention in the episode is she talked about how she uses Instagram. And we've had an awesome interview with Instagram expert, Sue Zimmerman. That was in episode 39. So if you'd like to learn more about how to use Instagram to grow your wellness business, definitely go over and listen to this interview with Sue Zimmerman. It's at wellpreneuronline.com slash 39. And of course, to get all the notes and resources that we talked about today, you can get those in this episode's show notes, which are at wellpreneuronline.com slash 72. Or if you're listening on your iPhone, you can just click the picture of the Wellpreneur podcast and it will take you directly to those show note links. So that's it from me this week. I'm sending you tons of good vibes and success for your wellness business this week. And I will see you back here next Monday with the next episode. 